1: Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrall. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured, for better and sometimes worse, across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Jason, how are you brother?
0: no complaints got up a little bit early this morning to be ready for this but uh other than that no complaints
1: oh <laughs> apologies it's it's uh for a country that the uk has such you know we are, i've got so many friendships in america it it, it sure is awkward to organize a podcast
0: <laughs> yeah it's true it's true the uh the timelines the time zones don't don't pan out too well most of the time
1: and it's it's <laughs> you guys got so many we we've just got one time zone in this country and you guys have got like what about eight or something
0: yeah something like that
1: <laughs> so mate i was fascinated to look at your linkedin profile because i'd never heard uh is it fkt fastest known time
0: yep that's that is what they're called yeah
1: yeah i mean obviously when you do a few ultras and stuff you hear that you you hear that banded around, um, but I never really thought about it, and I never realized there's, there's actually a website where all these times are listed, and you're at the top of that.
0: That is what people tell me, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I fell in love with uh, the fastest known time world. Well, I actually was already kind of doing it before I even discovered the website, kind of like you. Um, I was just out chasing cool things. I'd, I'd accumulated rock climbing and mountaineering and orienteering skill sets. And uh, I had a traumatic car accident that kind of took away my running for a while. And when the running came back, I'd accumulated this skill set as part of my process of, you know, finding something to do with myself um, to not lose my mind while I was recovering. And when the running came back, I was like, oh, well, now I'm just going to run between these like big mountain objectives and deep backcountry things. Um, And so it made it really easy to like go, oh, fastest known times. That's that's my new favorite thing, because you're able to go out and find a course that takes you into the middle of nowhere that they could never run a race. Mm -hmm. And you just take your geo stamped photos and you have your GPS data and your live tracking to substantiate that your efforts real. And you submit it all to the website and they verify it and put your time up if you're fast enough to to beat what somebody before you did. Um, yeah, it makes it super cool.
1: Because there's been guys, I'll say guys, probably girls as well, but there's been guys caught out che- cheating on that sort of thing, haven't there? You know,
0: I mean, in honesty, with all of the stuff, uh, with, all, with the big boom in FKTs, there's a surprisingly small amount of any outright cheating. There's been some stuff where people don't submit their style correctly, where they claim to be unsupported, which true unsupported means like nobody's out there like giving you anything. Like if someone, if you bump into people you know and they cheer you on, like that, that's fine. But if you accept any form of help, you know, a Snickers bar, water, um, you know, someone someone meets you during a scary part to walk with you. Um that all that that makes your effort supported. And so there've been occurrences where people have had like a film person run along with them. It's like technically that's a pacer. Technically you're being paced. Um so that's now a supported effort instead of unsupported. So we've had more problems with that stuff. Um and fewer problems with people just trying to completely lie and fake it. Um but you know, I mean as it continues to grow, that may become a bigger issue because it's become issue an issue at races where people I don't. I personally don't understand it, and I talk about this with my students. It's like I don't know why I would want to cheat, cheat my way to get my name at the top of something, because then anytime I saw my name, it would just be a reminder that I'm a liar. Like there would be no honor there, there would be no yeah. pride there, there would be no sense of satisfaction there. It would just be like, oh, look, my name. I'm a liar. Um, <laughs> so I don't get it, but apparently some people that equation for short term, short term gains plays out in their head and yeah they make a bad decision
1: yeah we have uh, i think the thing we always need to remind ourselves is some some people are just really not very well and and um we have the same thing in the military or well, obviously i'm ex-military now but w- w- we we call them wa- wa- or they're called water mitties and they're the these individuals that dress up with all the military regalia and the medals and you know they've got the of some special forces unit, and of course they've never served, and it, it's incredibly sad. But I had one of these gentlemen who's let's use the word recovered from from this delusion. I had him on the podcast, and it was really when it came down to it, he'd suffered some like severe abuse as a child, and at one point in his life, he just pretended he was in the military one day, and then the next day he just pretended a bit, you know, someone else says, so yeah, you were in a, you said you're in the yeah, yeah, and 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 it just grew, and he said, um, he said, Chris, before I knew it, I just, I actually believed, I was this guy that had been in, <laughs> served ten years in the military, and but I guess it's the same for the, for people who are cheating. Some of them are just, I don't know, can we say grubby, <laughs> just bloody cheats, uh, and and there's nothing in that like like you said, Jason, is there? Is it a, every time you see your name, it just reminds you you're you're a cheat, but then I guess there must be some people that really haven't got a lot in their lives. And the thought that they could get the accolade of a fastest known time must be enough to um, tip them over the balance to get what I'm saying.
0: No, I love, I love your explanation. And I think that's totally true. I think it'll probably tie into some of the conversations we have um, throughout this podcast um, about mental health and, and about, you know, how that affects people's perceptions. What immediately comes to mind is, is they've done studies. Uh, I'm a teacher, so I, I kind of pay attention to this kind of stuff. Um, people who cheat on tests um, to get a good grade, rather than like rank ordering themselves as weaker performing in the class than someone who honestly takes a test, um, they'll actually think that they they learned more and they'll think that they perform better um, than than people who didn't cheat. And it's just this crazy anomaly. It's like because they get a good end result, they think that their process was sound. And we see this reflected in in the athletic community, and in, especially if you think of a, a sport like mountaineering, where someone can just have a bunch of successes climbing mountains, and they think they're a really quality mountaineer with great a great skill set. In reality, they've just gotten lucky a bunch of times, and they. They don't have that depth of field for their skill set to to actually get themselves out of a dire situation, um, and so we can see that we can see that reflected in both of those places. So it's very understandable that someone who is coming from a place of uh, some form of mental unsoundness uh, could easily like convince themselves. And I love how you sort of told the story of the process of falling into that. It wasn't just like waking up one day and a 100 percent blown up story it was like little baby steps and convincing yourselves yourself of, of a story i think i think the same is true in academics the same is true in in some of the sports uh, that you and i have both both pursued
1: i guess the, the thing is jason that if like if someone wants to dress in a military uniform honestly as a veteran i i just so much couldn't care less they can call themselves chris if they want and put my old uniform on it it, it really, but that's because I think I'm quite sort of balanced. I I think if if you get upset at other people, that's more a reflection of of yourself, isn't it? But if you did what you did and you you really work hard and you put yourself in danger out there in the wilderness, you do all the training, you get the gear, you get the knowledge, the expertise. You you're putting yourself on the line, and then someone just comes in and uh, and cheats that that is kind of a different thing isn't it that, that, that there is a reason to get pissed off there
0: yeah um for me for 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 the longest time and i i'm not sure i guess you could just say maybe justice is something i have a strong sense of like i'm that kind of person that if i see someone wronging another person i can get pretty steamed pretty quick about like making the situation right mm-hmm. um even when i was a kid um so to me that integrity has been like a fundamental part of my personal personality with with especially with things that are in my in my lens of focus, so to speak, like things I'm very focused on, because I'm kind of a hyper focused personality where it's like I'll go all in with something. And if if people are doing that in the wrong way, for example, there was a, a person who started establishing FKT routes, but wasn't doing their research ahead of time. And like if you and so well I'll finish that line. Um They weren't doing the research ahead of time. And so they would claim a fastest known time on a pretty well known route, like a popular regional or area route. And it's like, no, with 10 minutes of research, there are people who've gone three hours faster or more than you on this route. Like, you can't just jump in here and then be like, I'm the fastest. No, you just didn't do your research. Like, to me, that was very problematic. It's like, you're just, you're not even, you're not even honoring the people who came before you at all. Like, you're just trying to get your name on something. Um, and I found that very frustrating, especially when, um, he, this person came through my, my backyard, so to speak. And it was some of my friends, you know, people who I've run with that had a faster time than this person was posting on just one of their training runs. I'm like, you can't be doing that. Um, and so that I found very frustrating because I don't know, for me, it's kind of about the journey where I want to, do these things, to have gone out and actually suffered through every step that's necessary to have had the full experience, um, to to have met up with that grand test, that grand experiment, and and see what truly happened when I was measured against it and see how I, I found my way through. And to, to sell it anything short
1: of that, to me, is to sort of miss the point. Um, yes, yes. you you reminded me of something there have you are you familiar with this flat earth theory
0: I have I've i of course I mean yeah (laughs) it's crazy
1: (laughs) yeah well for our friends listening at home I'm a big advocate of people questioning the the status quo and and the power structures in life and I don't think there's ever been a time in history where Really important to understand what what what's really going on, not not what the news stations want to tell you is going on. But the the, the thing that I wish I could get to people because I get a lot of people say, ah, oh, you 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 know, you if only you knew the truth, Chris. And I, and I I want to say to them like, are you aware people have been all the way around the planet? They've travelled all the way around the planet two of my friends have done that uh one of them ran off fines i've got a signed copy of his book literally just there he 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 led an expedition it's called the trans global or the trans globe and this is all all online you can find it's not like a secret or anything and they went all the way around the planet uh, when they got to antarctica they used uh i think it was some sort of like mechanical tractors to to to, to get across, so they weren't, you know. He has skied across Antarctica, I think. I think on a number of occasions. And then when they got to the other side, their ship came around to pick them up, and they they continued right the way around the globe. Uh, another uh, a friend of mine, Captain Lou Rudd, uh, was the second person in history to ski across Antarctica. He's actually like my friend, right? And his um, mentor, can we say? was it was a guy called henry worsley who was again an uh, a, who was an army officer and henry died something crazy like 30 miles from being the first person to ski all the way across antarctica and for people listening if you're wondering why i mention antarctica it's that if you're a, a flat earth believer or a flat plane as is as, as referred to then you believe that the Antarctica is just a, a ring of ice around the edge, like an ice wall. Very often they'll quote they'll in these videos that I've seen, they flash up what is just a picture of a, a glacier. It's the edge of the ice. And they say, there, there's the ice wall. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, go down there. Just get on a ship and go there. And you won't be saying this stuff. And it's not expensive. I've I've expeditioned to Antarctica. It cost me a lot because I wanted to go scuba diving jason right but if you just want to go like on an expedition you can you can do it for oh some of the guys on the expedition they booked last minute and they booked in argentina at a travel agent and they bought the the places on the expedition where somebody had dropped out and they got it for a thousand dollars or something it wasn't it wasn't expensive And you can go there and you can stand on a continent. It's a continent. It's not an ice shelf, right? And going back to your point, like, guys, if you just do a bit of research, you can learn all this, you know? And then you don't have to come to people like me who know all this stuff and they try and convince me that I don't know what I know. Or, you know, you don't have to dishonor the the legacy and the memory of people like Henry who died. To, you know, go and tell his family that the earth's flat and that their their husband, their son is a, is a complete lunatic and he doesn't know. Or that he's like an MI6 agent, you know, like a CIA or something, right? It's just, ah, it's just incredible. And the crazy thing there is, is the people that believe this, they think that they're open-minded and that they're not controlled. And it's no, it's completely the other way You to believe something without caring for the facts that's just what I call left brain left brain sort of thinking. Sorry mate, I've gone off on one there, but it's just it's really I just think it's really relevant for all of us to you know you gotta oh. pick you gotta pick your conspiracy theories carefully and then there's a lot of conspiracies out there and then and I'd agree with a good load of them but the earth being flat is it's it how can you say it's flat when your friend has been all the way around it. What do I go and call him a liar and call him like, you know, CIA or MI6 or something? It's sorry. I shouldn't laugh. I'm not laughing at the, the, I'm just laughing at the notion that, that.
0: No, I understand. I understand. It's like when, when, when you understand something so thoroughly that you, you can't get around the absurdity of, of an alternate and incomplete idea. And I think it goes, uh, it's a reminder of there's this to me there's this powerful phrase um that serves as a reminder in life uh that there's such a thing as a lie honestly told like Mm. people can fully i mean world multiple world religions couldn't exist without the possibility for a lie honestly told jason one second
1: i've just had someone knock on my office door i will be right back there
0: wouldn't be a such a thing as as having multiple world religions if there wasn't such a thing as as fully believing in an idea and having that idea be wrong so you you can you can and so many things are passed on so many perceptions and they don't have to be completely wrong right it's not a binary it's it's a concept it's like I could have a concept in my head of what a car is and it's grossly incomplete like if you put together the car that's in my head it would not get you anywhere cuz I, I would be missing so many essential components while someone else who's a mechanic i can think of a mechanic i've gone to in the past that had this astonishing knowledge where you you'd say a car of a certain year and he'd just start talking about these components and what's inside them when you blow them up and da da da, da. and then oh yeah that year they did this to the brake system and you know the oh but you know like just this thorough like he's the kind of person i imagine if you just put him in a machine shop and you said we'll come back in a year, have a car, there would be a car Mm -hmm. and it would run and drive. Um, But the rest of us, to some degree, if we try to tell people what a car is, we're, we're telling a bit of a lie of omission, right? We don't have the complete truth. And so there's so many things like this going around where people are passing these ideas back and forth and they fully believe them. But belief is not an indicator of truth. And belief is not an indicator of completeness of thought and and i think that's a powerful powerful thing to remember and it gives you a little bit of compassion when you're dealing with people because it's like okay yeah you you really believe this and i think in my teaching practice it it allows me to stay in sort of a socratic questioning method instead of like you know judging me like wow you're ridiculous da it's like oh well i'm just going to ask all, i'm just going to go through the process of asking all the right questions until you arrive at a place where you yourself conclude Oh, I don't have enough information to draw that conclusion, do I? It's like, well, no, you really don't. Um, good luck figuring it out now, because you've got <laughs> cognitive dissonance, and you're going to have to. Um, so, yeah, I think that's you know a lie honestly told to 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 understand that people can be in a frame and in a place. You know, to reference back to, you know, your your military reference, uh, the 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 fellow who was struggling. People can be in a place where it's not just a a lie that they've chosen to tell, but it's just something where they don't know better, but they're convinced of
1: what they do know. Yes, exactly. Let's um, get back to your story. Apologies. But what can you give us some examples? Um, Like what's been the toughest, your toughest challenge and and what do you do sort of regularly? That's fairly easy. Um, so
0: my, my specialty, I've done some, some fastest known times. You can go look at my list on the fastest known time website under their athlete tab, the who who's done it. Um, and some of my, some of my times come from just trail systems, but that's not, that's not my forte. That's my, not my love. Usually that's just cause I found a trail where I'm like, oh, like, no, can't really find much, much as far as people running this trail end to end. And it's a beautiful trail. And People will be inspired by it. So I'll list it, even though it's not, that's not my jam. And I've done that a few times with some trails around my, my home state and the surrounding area, just to like draw more attention to them in this cool sort of FKT niche. Um, but my real forte, what I love is mixed skills where you're going to be in the back country and your decisions have gravity, um, where what I mean by that is if you mess up, there's a possibility you you don't come out. Um, for me, I'm an, I'm an ADHD mind. Like my mind is always going a thousand different ways, even as we've been talking like all over the place. But when I'm out there in a high risk situation, especially while, uh, climbing with a ton of exposure and high consequence in rock or glacier terrain, like the focus because of the fear makes my mind completely quiet. And I love, I love that, that experience of the silence of the mind, um, in those spaces. So there's, there's a personal reason why I'm drawn to this, um, and why I want to, you know, actually go out and do these high risk things rather than talk about them. Um, in fact, I've always loved the quote, uh, live your life in a, in such a way that others do your bragging for you. It's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about what I'm doing. I just want to go do the things that's what I care about. And the reason why is because it gives me this, this experience in life that I very seldom get, of just having a a mind focused completely on one experience. Um, So anyways, I love love pushing into the backcountry, high consequence um, situations. I love running, run plus free soloing, um, or some people would refer to it as hard scrambling because it's not like true hard rock climbing. It's like the easy moderates where most people would be very, very afraid and like definitely want to rope up but also most human beings are capable of climbing it if they're at least reasonably fit. It's not like the world elite, you know, rock climbing stuff like Alex Honnold on free solo or something. Um, but I love mixing those two disciplines where it's like, you're running out to an objective that can only be climbed, um, via like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, either pull on a set of climbing shoes or I'm going to solo up this thing with my running shoes on. And it's 100% like, I'm hanging by my fingertips and a wrong decision has a cost. Um, The same with like glacier travel through, through crevasses. Um, I love, I love, I got very into and still love, love uh, infinity loops, which is where you climb all the way up over the top of a mountain, usually a volcano because they just aesthetically are more privy to this. Then you circumnavigate half the mountain Then you go back up over the mountain again, and then you circumnavigate the other half, the largest of which of those I did is uh, Mount Rainier, which is 14,000 feet tall, the tallest mountain in the state of Washington. Um, It's a total of 135 miles long, about 44,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, And both of the the routes on either side of the mountain are highly crevassed. um, So you're making decisions of high consequence while you're up there um I remember traversing above this crevasse where it's like I'm, I'm on this little ice ledge that's about half a boot length wide and you know got the ice axe above me and I'm like traversing across this little ledge and down below me with I mean maybe there was enough time to fully arrest a fall I think there was which is why I made the decision to go ahead and go unprotected is it's like if I did mess up which is unlikely but if I did mess up I have one chance at putting the ice axe in and arresting the fall. Um, But this crevasse, like you look down at it, you could drop a school bus into it and you wouldn't know it was there. Um, Just this big gaping hole in the ice. And it's like having done the work and being aware that I'm a person capable of putting myself in that situation while fatigued and being able to trust in my execution of skills, there's, there's something to that for me. Um, And then I guess another reason the Rainier infinity loop comes to mind for me is after successfully going twice over the mountain, um, once in a, you know, sleep deprived, fatigued state, I then had to finish the second half of the circumnavigation. And it doesn't, it doesn't, the Wonderland trail doesn't divide neatly into halves. It's like your first half, as you get back around to climb over the mountain again, is only like 37 miles long or 32. And then the other half is 67. So you've basically got a hundred K race as your final leg of, of this experience. And so I remember coming into that and taking off to run on that final, um, bit. And most of the wonderland is pretty technical and pretty steep trail. It's not not buttery smooth, but I was on a buttery smooth section, mild downhill. So I'm like, okay, let's open it up for a little while and like stretch the legs out after coming down the mountain. And I look down at my watch and I'm only doing 14 minutes per mile, which is just pedestrian. And I'm like, oh no, if this is the fastest I'm capable of going at this point, I just don't get to sleep this second night. Like in order to be sure I break this record, I just need to let go of any ideas that I'm going to, I'm going to sleep in any way, just to, just to be sure I have the time to, to gut this thing out. And I remember going into that second night and just getting into this place. And I mean, I'd only slept like an hour the first night, um, where, you know, I was hallucinating, seeing weird shapes, uh, getting to the point where, you know, that feeling where you're driving along and you shouldn't be driving anymore. And your head starts to Whoa, and you're like, you know, your head banging, your head bouncing. I was doing that while walking, like, like, suddenly, I'd be falling over because I was falling asleep on my own feet while moving. Um, just having this wild experience out there. And I remember in that moment, having, having what I would refer to almost as in a broad use of the term as a spiritual experience where, you know, we, we, we would love, we would love to see ourselves live up to all these words, that we use to describe virtues, you know, to, you know, what is it to be strong? What is it to be tough? What is it to be tenacious? And that's the word that came to me in that moment, tenacity, and just became to the point of tears, became aware, like, I am embodying that word in this moment. This is what tenacity feels like. This is what it feels like to be completely dedicated to your goal. And unwilling to relent in the face of of any amount of pain or setback or struggle and just like was moved to tears as i'm marching along through the night like i i am actually a tenacious person i am i am capable of exercising that word that value to to as high of a degree uh as 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 possible seemingly um And that was powerful to me. And that still stands out in my mind. And I think that was a pivotal experience. Because up until that point, I'd only run 100 miles was my longest distance. So 137 miles was 37 miles of experimentation, like what happens. I'd also never gone through a second night of sleep deprivation while moving. So that was a complete experiment. And
1: how long did that take you to run 137 miles, especially if it was up a mountain and back uh that one's two hours, seven minutes. Um oh. two hours and seven minutes.
0: Or two ah. days, sorry, two days. Uh, ah two days, seven hours. Okay, there we go. Yeah. That's the one I want. I, I transposed my uh my words there.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I was trying to figure that out. Um two days. <laughs> that wow, that's still yeah, that that's that's good going especially if that's on terrain were you self-supported on that that one was self self-supported yep no no support crew of any sort
0: there so did not you even take, any no not even any friends there watching
1: <laughs> did you did you take any food with you uh, well I mean obviously you 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 did but what what food do you take and how much of it
0: so I, I did since I did self-supported style I had a stash on each side of the mountain yeah Um, so that way I could also transition between mountain gear and and running gear. Um, and I mean, what, during the carries, so carrying over the mountain and carrying on the trail, I mostly did a, a product called tailwind, which you just mix in your water and it has your electrolytes and your calories. That way I could conserve weight and volume. Um, so I didn't need to carry as big of a pack full of, you know, heavier foods. And then at my tent and my car, which were on opposing sides of the mountain, um, I had things like salami and avocados and um, almond milk and um, just a whole variety of anything you can think of you might want when you're out doing an effort or after you take a a rest from an effort. Um, So just an assortment of different foods on either side. Um, Top ramen (laughs) as as a, you know, something to warm up quickly that I could eat. Um, yeah so that that's kind of how I did that is keeping the carries light and then sort of having a a buffet or an aid station on either side
1: yeah it's it's yeah that moment where it just becomes hard going and you keep going it can be like a can like go one or two ways I think it can either go the way that you said where it just becomes quite beautiful that you're living your dream and you're smashing it and you you but my last challenge I started to find myself going off this is hard. <laughs> this, this is, uh, oh God, my last challenge, I, I ran, I, I ran 200 miles as quick as I could. So I, I started off around a running track and if, if I could have done it like in the ideal world, um, are you paused there for a second? Oh no. I'm, I'm still, I'm uh, listening. <laughs> sorry. I thought, I thought our zoom had crashed. So, So, yeah, in an ideal world, I would have wanted to do it in two and a half days um, because the running track then shut for Christmas. So I was basically like giving up my Christmas to to do a run for charity. The idea being everybody's at home having turkey, but I'm out in in the worst storm that we've had for years, uh, which went on for the whole of the five days I was I ended up running. And I do remember after the first marathon which normally in ultra running terms you don't even feel the first marathon. It's like you haven't even started warming up yet. It's not. It's nothing. After the first marathon, I my Achilles on my left foot had just completely seized up in a way I've never had before. And it wasn't just the Achilles. It took over the whole of the ankles. The, the whole of my ankle felt seized and in pain. I pulled my right hamstring. Um, I pulled my left calf. I just had all these injuries that I hadn't anticipated and I'm only, I've only just done a marathon. Okay. A, a few of them, the injuries came a bit later on and this rain just wouldn't let up And the wind. I couldn't even have a uh, hold my, my golfing umbrella, not that I golf, but I've got a golfing umbrella. I couldn't even hold that because the wind was just blowing it. Like it was just trying to take, take it off. <laughs> and so that two and a half days, plan turned into five days just running for five days and I allowed myself sort of six hours sleep every night just I I'll be honest I got a bit lost in the end I'm like what did what am I doing now why did I start this I, it wasn't to like be resting I just thought I was gonna run the whole thing but it, um and yeah I do remember thinking on that oh God it's so good when you're smashing it even when you're in pain but you just can keep smashing it but when you're in pain, and you're not feeling it <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's a different it's thing it's tough and i i do love that you you demonstrated how how to reframe in a healthy way there rather like as soon as it became impossible for your original goal to happen what a lot of people do is in that moment like the whole the, the wheels come off the bus the whole machine breaks down right the motivation falls apart they fall apart and it's like they accomplish they just stop there and accomplish nothing right Um, but to be capable of going, no, there's still something I want here. And so reframing, like, okay, I'm going to finish this thing, but now it's going to take five days. Um, like there, that, that's, that's pretty powerful, even though like, it doesn't feel good. And it's like, oh man, I mean, five days to do this thing. Like I should have been able to go faster, but that's part of what you have to navigate. Right. And I think, I think that makes it all the more admirable when you set out for an ambitious goal. And instead of it being do or die, it's well. No, I'm just going to find a way to do, even even if it falls short of my own expectations for myself, and even if I'm a little bit disappointed, and even if other people are able to make fun of how slow I was, I'm still going to do this thing because I care to do this thing. Um, like there's a huge amount. I, I think about the people who show up to ultra races, and they're never the people that are going to win anything. Not even their age group. All they're going to do is fight their ass off to not miss a cutoff time. Right. Like there, that's wow. Like I've always respected that, which is why I've, I've never let myself drop out of a, a, an ultra race that there wasn't a, an acute injury. That's like, if I continue on this, it will create medical complications where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in a much, much worse place. Yeah. Um, but if it's just like, I'm having a terrible race. I'm in pain. I hurt all over my body's, you know, like I'm vomiting or whatever. It's like, well, am I still able to make forward progress? Okay. Out of respect for those people, unless I get pulled from the course, I'm going to go finish. Um, and to that's because to me, there's, there's a huge amount of honor and respect to that. Like they, there's no accolade there. It's not like you win I don't prestige, get it.
1: I don't you know? get it the last ultra i did the actual an an official ultra i mean not not my 200 mile i i did a 108 mile run 8 miles is cuz i kept missing the markers and going the wrong way right <laughs> so my tracker was clocked up another 8 miles but i did a 108 mile run as the last leg of a quadruple distance triathlon um and so even though i Swam nine miles, cycled 450, and now I'm running 108. And this is, friends, only, this is non-stop. There's the, the, I did it in seven days, but the run itself, and I had to have a day for traveling in the middle because the ultra was at the other end of our country. But when I'm doing the ultra, and oh, it, it got really hard. In the morning, it, I was just drained, absolutely drained. But people were just giving up in the middle of the night. And they were taking them off to the, to an aid station. And they just sat there in deck chairs, you know, drinking and eating And it's like, at least if you pull yourself out, you've got to look like you're dying. <laughs> it's got to be a reason to stop. Not just, Oh, I just stopped. <laughs> ha, ha, uh, I'm not criticizing people. I just find it. I find it interesting. Yeah.
0: It's, I, you know, I think it comes down to like the mechanics of desire, right? Like, there's a difference between being fit. There's a difference between um, wanting an achievement and then having this deeper desire to just push yourself, where the process itself is in some way the reward. And I think, I think when you when stuff starts to go sideways and the the accolades and the rewards start to like diminish because you're not going to get as you know you're not going to win or whatever. Um that's when that's when that gets tested even more like do you truly want this thing you're doing just for the sake of doing it or is it are you are you focused on some end result, some secondary gain that you're getting out of it? And that's that's a bit of work I have to cuz you know with this FKT thing I started out just like, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. And this gives me a forum to like inspire other people through it. And the teacher in me like loved that idea of being able to speak into more people's lives. But now here I am on a podcast and this has happened more than once. And like, people are like, Whoa, what you're doing is amazing. Like you're doing these really hard things and you're doing them fast. And you're climbing these routes that people are normally just scared to climb, you know, uh, by themselves. And you're mixing it with these long runs. Um, and it would be really easy to get caught up in that secondary gain, right? Like, Oh, I can get, you know, money here and there. Like not, not a lot, but like a little bit of money to support my next big venture. And I can get some gear and I can get on a podcast and have a conversation. Um, you know, a lot of people, if if you don't have a clean line of why you're doing what you're doing, if you don't have that really figured out and bright line set for, to keep keep you on the path of like, no, I'm, I'm doing this stuff. Cause I love it for these reasons, then it's really easy to get that warped in your head to where you're doing things for the extrinsic reward. Because I mean, our society's program us like, why do you go to work? To get a paycheck. Uh, why do you do well in school? Well, to get a job. It's like, there's always a some other reason you don't do well at, you know, you're not taught, oh, do well at school, do well at academics, because learning is awesome. Like, that that's not that's the a reason. good point. So in the same way, it's like, if you want to have high levels of motivation, you have to be doing the thing for the love of the thing. And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, Oh, you're going to do your hundredth FKT. You're going to do your hundredth fastest known time. Like, how are you going to celebrate? I'm like, my guess is I'm going to see something while I'm out there that I'm like, Oh, that's a great line. And I'm probably going to finish my hundredth and go drive back to that thing. As long as I have time, I don't need to be back at school. I'm going to go drive back to that thing and go try to hammer out an awesome time on it. Cause like, you know you're aligned when the reward for the thing is doing more of the thing. Um, and and I think that's a, that's a powerful thing to remember, is that the most powerful motivations for us as human beings are the ones that come from inside, where nobody's offering us anything um, in return for what we do. And yes, it's okay if you get some secondary gain out of things. It's okay if you get some fame. It's okay if you get some power. It's okay if you get some money. But The moment you start to think that you're doing it for those things is when you're going to, it's going to become work and work is something really easy to go. Is it worth it? And that's usually a sign that you've slipped somehow into that mindset. If, if you're out there and you find yourself asking the question, especially if you're asking it often, like, is this worth it? Probably in some way in your mind, you're doing it to get something because you, in order to ask that question, you're measuring, you're measuring a reward against the current level of work. So you have to be if there's if there's no if you're not perceiving a reward if you're just like I love this stuff this is like there's no place I'd rather be there's no is it worth it question. Um,
1: oh it's such a good point that you bring up because I think people wouldn't have considered it like that before and I'm here thinking I'm relating this to my life now because when I go out in the nature same with my son and he's just a little kid like dad put your phone away and and it's I'd love to say, honestly, it's just because of my work, because you know, when you when you work in the media, social media, whatever, YouTube media, you've got to keep stuff, you've got to keep putting something in a social media box to stay to make it work. You know, it's it's just a greedy, greedy algorithm that unless you're really lucky, like you're a Joe Rogan or something, and you but I mean he's not lucky. This guy's work really, really hard for for 15 years now to get his podcast to work um but unless you you know unless you get to that stage where it's oh, it's just a podcast someone takes care of it for you they put it all on youtube you you just do do, do the chat and, and then you go off and you know paddle your kayak or run up a mountain or play with your fat you know play with your children it's you constantly have to keep chipping stuff in the pot and then of course there's that crossover between well am i just chipping something in the pot to make my career work or is it the the reward i'm getting because then people are liking this post and oh that one's more popular than the one i did last week i wonder how many people have you know now gonna follow me through my career because of this and it's it's none of it good but regardless it just takes you away doesn't it from the natural the the thing that we started it for i started this podcast because i just wanted to chat to people like yourself jason you know about what i like which is adventure getting out there smashing it being happy for your every day on this planet and 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 just pushing the pushing yourself a bit and, and then of course the algorithm gets you doesn't it and you realize it's just not that easy to make it work and it's okay but so um yeah it's fascinating what you said about school my god i've never oh i've never run um, i've never thought of it like that yeah you know, but there's so much they don't teach you at school they don't teach you to appreciate the beauty and just sitting in the nature that's it you know you know you don't need to, they don't teach you how to be kind to people they don't teach you that happiness is way more beneficial than than wealth <laughs> um and you you're a teacher well, what i would do you think i would
0: add that? i would add to that i would add to that i think when, when I think about because it's really easy to start pointing fingers looking for blame, right? Um, it's really, it's like, oh, that's the school system's fault or that's, you know, you know, you like you want to find a finger to point at someone and be like, it's that entity's fault. There, But there's such a thing as second order and third order problems, right? So oftentimes a parent not teaching their kid to ride a bicycle, which is like a fundamental skill to operate a two wheeled vehicle and to have a sense of freedom and empowerment as a young person, adventure, exploration, to get to know the place you're growing up in. Well, oftentimes, nowadays, it could be that the parent never learned, and you can only teach what you learn. And so that's a second-order problem, right? Like, a person can't teach what they themselves do not know. Um, So we run into these issues where, well, yeah, like, a teacher can't teach something if they themselves – didn't learn it from, from their parents, from their schooling, from, from their support system. Um, So it's like, it's not just the system's fault. It's like, we've got society as a whole. What are we focused on? Um, We, we live in a comfort driven society. We live, you know, we live in air conditioned boxes, heated and air conditioned boxes. We drive around in heated and air conditioned boxes. We, we teach and we seek comfort as sort of the end all be all like be safe, be comfortable. Um, we're starting to come to understand like, oh, that doesn't lead to mental soundness and human happiness to just be comfortable. We almost need some, something in our life that's stressing us and bending us and and forcing us to adapt. Cause if we don't, we get very unhealthy and very stagnant. Um, And then often we start breaking important things in our life, whether it's relationships or jobs or, or home life, whatever it is, we start to like break the stuff in our life so that we have more stress. and I I think I think I guess to tie that together, we we need we need spaces that are designed to test us. And this is one of the reasons I love being a physical educator, a PE teacher, is I can design environments where a kid might get to have a, a fear response to something where I know as the expert in the room, they are very, very safe. Um at any point, like instantly I can grab them off and it's over. Like say climbing, we have this little 12-foot-high rock wall. And at any point when they're on that wall, I can easily just reach up and grab them and take them off the wall and they're, they're fine, no matter how scared they are. Um, but what it offers is this opportunity when they have this strong fear response. Um, I've never physically taken a kid off the wall when they've gotten scared. Instead, I come over. It's like, OK, what's going on? All right. Well, what can you do? Let's breathe. All right. Have you looked around? Do you see another spot you can put your hand? Do you have? You, do you see another spot you can put your foot? And slowly but surely get them to find a, a sequence they think through themselves to get down. And when they get down that wall, I go, well, did you really need me? Because you know usually they've called my name because they're scared or one of their friends have run over. So and so stuck on the wall. Um, uh, and I'll I'll ask them, well, did you need me? And they like think about it. It's, well, no. I'm like, never forget that. When when we feel fear, the thing we need to do. Is continue thinking about the next thing we need to do, and yeah. you create. You can create these experiences where you learn to navigate different feelings, and I think that's unique to the like a sport and a physical realm. Because in order to feel a similar fear in your regular, comfortable like societal life, something has to be going terribly, terribly wrong. Like you've been fired from your job, or your wife is leaving you, your husband is leaving you. Um, like something has to be going terribly, terribly wrong for you to feel a debilitating fear in regular life. But in the physical realm, you can do things where you get to face these deeper parts of yourself and learn to handle them in a healthy way, just like we all had to learn to manage our anger as a young person. You know, that's like a fundamental integration, healthy integration to society thing is, can you, can you manage your anger and find healthy outlets for it? Well, the same is true of fear. We just don't talk about it as much.
1: Yeah, there's another interesting thing that I learned fairly recently, and that is if you run from fear, whether that be imaginary or perceived fear, like say, I'm not entering a marathon. That's just whoa. That's you know, I can't. It is fear, isn't it? Because we all know a human being can run twenty six miles, or, or or walk it, crawl it, push yourself in a wheelchair, whatever. It's not. It it, it it's not as difficult as 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 people might think but if you give into that or maybe it's anxiety you know the anxiety about being in a certain certain situations or social what what you're doing is you're telling your primitive fight or flight mechanism that it was right that it was good to make you scared because there was a real threat and you moved yourself away from it and what it does is it establishes in the brain that 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 that's a real threat so the next time you face a similar situation which to one person it's it's like nothing because it really is nothing your brain then this neural pathway kicks in all these chemicals kicking going oh there it is again remember what we did last time we ran away i run away and then you've, you've double strengthened it and then and, and this this behavior um you're actually reinforcing a fear of something that um, no, totally. I
0: totally I've I've read that myself. I've heard that myself um, that going going headlong into fears is is the most healthy, like healthy way. Like, I mean, it's it's in the short term. Right. And you've got you've got we've always got to consider stuff in short term game and, and medium to long term strategy in the short term. It can be it can be horrific, like to to charge headlong into your fears. I mean, Sometimes people look at what I do. I actually just did a little show and tell with my students where I showed a picture of myself on the side of like a, a steep rock cliff on a mountain to get to the summit. It's a mountain called Mount Thielsen. Um it's, it's almost like a Dr. Seuss mountain. It's just like, how is that even standing? It's so, such a spire at the top. And so there's this picture of me climbing up it um, and, I, and I show it to them. It's like, okay, you know, if I snap my fingers and you were hanging here just right now, what would you feel? It's like, you know, someone would be like, wow, that's awesome. And then others are like, well, I'd be scared. It's like, well, yeah, you would probably all of us would be. And then I asked, do you think I'm scared? And you know, a bunch of them are like, no. And a few are like, maybe I'm like, no, I absolutely experience a a fear of heights. I I feel it just like you guys. I feel it very palpably, very strong, very intense, very visceral fear of heights. But that's why I go out there. I, I want to experience that. And I want to in the face of that toward my goals. I, I want to keep making the smart decisions and I'll like reference experiences that they've had, whether it's on the rock wall or learning, learning bicycling. Cause I teach my students bicycling. Um, and I'll like reference these points that they can like integrate into their understanding. And, and I talk about, you know, with the older students, I'll talk about like what it means to like integrate strong mind and strong body, like to do something like climbing a technical mountain, you know, most, and I, and I'm like, I bring up like, okay, you're out in nature's wonder, you're out in the beauty, and you see these lakes and forests around you and these other peaks, and you look up at a peak like Mount Thielson, which is this beautiful spire. And most people look up and go, I wonder what the view is like from the top, right? Sense of wonder, sense of exploration, this beautiful part of being human. But then they immediately have to follow that with, but I'm not strong enough, or, but that's too scary, right? So too scary would be, would be, lack, uh, like a perceived lack of being able to handle their own fear that like, a, that they don't think they would be able to manage that fear to a degree that they can safely execute the climb or I'm not strong enough, or it's too far away would be physically, they physically don't believe they can actualize that climb. And so in order to go do something like that, to be a person who can look up and go, Oh man, I wonder, and then go live that out. So instead of wondering, you have a memory You know what it feels like to climb that mountain. You know what it's like to stand on that summit and see those views. It's both. You have to have an integration of strong mind, strong body. And, you know, I talk about that. Like, this is why we do what we do here in in P. is that someday when you go out there, you have both skill sets and mindsets that allow you to to have these opportunities to, to have the option to choose to go. And maybe, and I tell them, maybe mountains won't be your thing like, they're they're my thing they don't have to be your thing but there's something there's something out there you're going to be scared of there's something out there that's going to be very very hard and you're either going to do the work to make it so you can go oh i wonder what that's like and then you find out or you go i wonder what's that that's like and you withdraw and you know to me that, that's one of the most powerful things i can i can pass on to them in in different packages for different kids is this understanding of the work we do And, and the character we build, and I reference it to like character, how how the strength of of character you have, and the burden we're capable of, you know, carrying also for others, then, you know, because, again, it's like, you can only teach what you learn. And so the more you improve yourself, the more you have to pass on to others. Um, And, you know, that ties into like a responsibility conversation, like, if you bother to better yourself, and you're able to take heavier and heavier burdens on your shoulders, that means when things go sideways or, or someone needs help, you have your, your life in order in such a way that you can help them rather than being the one who needs help. And and that means you're actually doing some good with your life. Mm. You're actually You're actually lifting others. Others are better off because you lived. That's a pretty cool thing. Like, that's pretty amazing. Like, wouldn't it be sad to live your whole life and to have only been a burden to other people, to only have had them pay their money to have you exist to only have had other people help you and, and have that be your existence instead. How cool is it to live a life where it's like, Oh, like this person has a house because of me and this person, you know, like they, this, this little old lady isn't sad and lonely because of me. And, and, you know, this person when their rig broke down instead of being scared and stranded, had me there to like help tow them in like whatever it is. Um, being able to take that and shoulder that burden to to help make your community a better place. And, you know, it's this, it's this, it's this integrated package of what it, what it means to like actually become a healthy human being, um, a well human being, a human being that's integrated in society in the, in the real like human sense rather than the, well, you work a job and make some money and build a product sense, which is also, you know, I mean, that gets a lot of hard knocks by certain groups these days. Um, but it's like, if you're providing a, a unique product that answers a need in people's lives, like there is value to that. Um, there is definitely value to that. So it shouldn't get knocked as hard, but I think there's this human level of doing the same that we don't talk about as much.
1: Yeah. If, you, if all you If you're just conditioned to take, take, take and make, make, make and gain, 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 and look forward to the next job position and the next salary and the you know, the next thing you can get, that's never ever going to end, is it? You know, there's no you don't get to a point where you go, right, I've got enough now. It it just never stops. But if you give, you you don't have that false goal in your life. You can be at one with yourself and 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 live a fairly a much, a much more relaxed and stress-free life. Does that make sense? No, I follow. Yeah, I mean, it's that thing, isn't it? We we're conditioned to just set these sort of goals. If when I get to here, then I'm going to be happy. When I get this holiday, or you guys call it vacation, they're, they're, I'm going to be really happy, right? When oh, there's a party next week, uh, then I'm going to be really happy. When I get the job promotion, then I'm going to be. Then I get this new car, and then it, and it's it's um. It's all just about me, 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 isn't it? And what can I take? And what can I take? And if you just reverse that and make your life around giving, then you haven't got all these. You can just relax and start enjoying life.
0: Yeah. Uh and I mean that ties back to the the our chat about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, right? Society's like, oh, you you need to set these end goal, like get the promotion, get the job, get the car, get the you know, wife, get the kids, like. This You're doing it for this outside things. Um, and I do think that's a weakness of that mindset being driven as the only mindset. Like, oh, the only reason people do anything is because you're rewarding, re- reward them. Well, that's not true at all. Otherwise, people would have no hobbies. Um, so people do things because we have passions for them. And I think I think the same has to be true with your giving, right? You could you could give and be very unhappy because you're like, oh well, I'll just I'm going to give to you know this much to this charity and then I'll feel good, and I'm going to give to give to this group, and it's like, well, if you're if you're framing it mentally in the same way as if you're you're doing it for some extrinsic outside reason, as opposed to like, oh, I see, I see how this aligns with what I value in the world. This is something. I want a good, I want to see myself providing to those around me. And these people happen to be doing it really well. So I'm going to raise money for them or give money to them. Like that's going to be very different than like checking a box for giving away a certain percentage of your income. Um, Like you could could have a person who gives much less and feels much more of a sense of peace about it. And you have a person who gives much more and feels nothing about it. Yeah. based on based on which of those mindsets you fall into. And I think this ties into one more thing I need. I'm going to need to wrap up and run off to go teach. Um, but this ties into like a sort of an, an internal metric, if you will. This is like a a tool that that people can use to to measure like, OK, am I am I staying motivated for the the reasons that align with my values, my sense of empowerment, my sense of the burden I would like to bear for those around me, my why, if you will, mm. um, and when you're when you're in alignment with those things that are enjoyable and empowering to you, you're you're going to talk about you're going to use words of want, words of desire, like oh I want this, I hope for this, I dream of this, right? Those that's the language the person will pop out, and it's fun to just start listening to your friends and family members talk about things and catch which words they use in what situations and w- what things they talk about colorfully and which things are really drab and colorless, and then. On the opposite side of the I want, you have the I have to, must, you know, the the language that, that indicates they have this perception of this thing they have to do. They don't have an option. There's no freedom. There's no choice. There's no passion. Um, and you used it just earlier. You talked about the social media machine and how you have to keep putting into it. Right. That's that's a, a work mindset. That's a like I, I have to do it.
1: And so it's funny. It's like, I don't have to, but I feel that I. uh, you
0: feel um, that you do. And that's uh, what's important. And the language, the language pops out based on what you're perceiving. And the perception is everything, right? Because as soon as we flip the perception, we can alter our motivation for something. So that's the Mm -hmm. point here. And that's why the tool is powerful. So oftentimes people will sign up for, say, let's use something that maybe people have heard on here before, like an ultra race or a, a marathon, and you've been running, you've maybe you've been running because you love, you've fallen in love with running and you love how it makes you feel and you love, you know, you're more fit and you have a better clarity of mind and you're healthier and da you're now eating better because you care about your running. And then you sign up for a marathon. And suddenly you notice yourself going, Oh, I have to follow this training plan and I have to get this long run in and I have to, and it starts to become less joyful and it starts to become more of a chore and your motivation to get out the door is, is now less. Well, you've, you've made it work. You've, you've made it. Now it's about that end, that end reward of having run the marathon. And so in order to access that play and that fun and that exploration, that's going to give you more motivation. You have to go back to, well, what is it? Why is it? I'm really running like, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon. I don't have to run a marathon. I'm going to run that ultra marathon or marathon but I'm running because I want to. I'm running because it makes me feel good. I'm running and I'm running this big grand experiment to to see, can I do this? And so when you flip it back to where you can talk about how you want to be doing those things and you want to go explore on this long run in a new place and you want to go see what it feels like to go further than you've ever gone, suddenly your motivation will be back. You're gonna be in a a higher motivational state because you're gonna be able to access all these different things. And we we can see this model. Basically, if you're in the have to mindset, And you run into frustrations, things that are setbacks. And it's stuff you have to do. So like, let's say they change the algorithms on you tomorrow and you suddenly had no clue how to get your content seen. Like that would be frustrating. Um, And in a situation where you're in a have to mindset, your your two options for how you're going to handle that setback are either anger or surrender. You're either going to get really, really angry about it and you're going to you're going to like have lots of negative things and bitterness to say about the change in the algorithm in this this instance or you're going to give up you're going to be like god oh, they're just going to change it again I, da, 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 I give up like right when i figure it out da, da, da. so you and you can you can probably think of people who've modeled this language who had a have to mindset with something where either they got really angry about i think of my dad at work he would always like get really angry about stuff and eventually you'd get through it but he, there was always this anger phase um and On the other side of that, if you're in the want to mindset, the dream of, the hope for, when you face setback, and we can see this with like people say at the gym who are like trying to get gains, like trying to get, you know, ripped upper body. Like I used to work in a gym as a, as a younger person. And so like, I I saw this modeled a lot. Um, So if they're following a program and it's working for them and it's something they want, nobody's making them, they don't feel like they have to lift. It's like, they just want to get ripped. Um, if it's working, even even if they're on a terrible program, but it's working and they're seeing progress, they will persist. Even if it's really hard, they're going to persist. They're going to have that, that perseverance. They're going to persevere. Boom, 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 keep doing it. When they plateau, we've all talked about plateaus. When they plateau, though, suddenly they're all up in your business. What protein do you eat? What supplements do you use? What's your, what's your routine? How do you get calves like that? They're curious. When it's something we want and we run into a setback that stops our progress, instead of getting angry or giving up, we get curious. When we do see progress, we persist, even if it's really hard. But that we can only access that if we're staying in our want-to mindset, if we're staying connected to our why, if we're staying connected to our values and our sense of empowerment. Like That's when we're going to just either get curious or we're going to persist. If we slide across, we don't have access to that anymore. We're either going to get angry or we're going to give up. And I think to me, that's that is why it's so important to to like stay in touch with those first order reasons for doing things, not to slide into like, well, you know, I do it because like I get to talk to people or I do it because I like winning races or money or da-da-da. Is you're gonna you're gonna slide into that have to mindset and you're gonna be in a much less healthy, motivated, sound place because you're gonna have to derive your motivation from anger right? You're gonna have to get angry with yourself and angry with the world. And, and like, that's not a help. Like you can use that. That's a great channel to flip to every once in a while to like muscle through some stuff. But you can't live there. That can't be how you get every single detail of your life done. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love my family tonight with anger. (laughs) Because I have to Uh, not gonna work out real well. Um, Mm. Not gonna work out real well. So Mm -hmm. I guess to me, that's, that's one of the powerful tools I use in my own life. When I set these big goals and these big objectives, I have this 100 peak FKT coming up. It's huge. It's scary. Like I'm going to climb peaks by themselves that are considered some of the hardest peaks to climb in in the USA. And I'm going to link them together multiples in a day. And I'm going to do big pushes into deep backcountry terrain back to back to back. Um, A lot of people don't think like I'm going to succeed. A lot of people who've done them before over the course of a lifetime are like, yeah, probably not. And I have to agree with them. Like it's a hard enough objective. There's enough things that can go wrong. There's there's enough ways I can make a mistake that's costly or that a fire could break out and land gets closed or a route melts out too fast and is no longer climbable. There's so many ways this thing could go wrong. And it's, even if everything goes right, it's such a huge undertaking. It, it Like my body could possibly not handle the load. And to like go into something like that it'd be really easy to like, be like, oh man, I've told people like, I'm going to do this thing. And like, you know, people see me do 99 of these different records. And, and now like, I have to, like, I have to succeed at this because people are watching and da 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 and my students and all these reasons. It's like, no, no, no. I'm going out to play in the mountains. I'm going out to, to put my fingers on some rock and climb it to the top of pointy things. And I'm going to get to look at the views and I'm going to run around in the, in the woods and, and I'm going to I'm going to sometimes not eat enough and I'm going to sometimes not drink enough water and I'm going to hurt and it's going to be hard <laughs> and it's going to be this huge experiment. And who the hell knows what's going to happen? But, man, I want to do that. Like, that sounds awesome. Like, what a what a way to spend days of your life that you never have back. And so from that mindset, like very different than than the mindset I just des- just described that could be really easy to slip into where like all these other people's perceptions of me and I've got to carry it, like da da da. It's like, no, no, no. Like all that's for them. They, they can keep that. What they want to think about me, what others want to think about me, whether they're my student or someone listening to this, like that's theirs. Go ahead and have it. Um, me, I'm going to go play in the mountains mm-hmm. and I'm going to get to come out the other side of this. If it succeeds, I'm going to come out the other side of this and have memories of 100 new mountains that many, many of which I've never climbed before and never even seen before. So I'm, I'm going to have a more comprehensive memory and experience of my own country a more beautiful experience of the deep back country and the nuance of the state of Washington um for those for those who don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna try to tackle the washington's one high, 100 highest peaks the bulgers list um, which is a, a famous historic list of of the 100 tallest peaks of the state of Washington and it's gonna to be a beautiful thing I'll make sure you have a, a link to, the uh live tracking and it'll be on the the fkt website they'll they'll have it in their uh people were tracking section on the landing page um you, yeah, and i'm going to try to do you going
1: to do you run between all the peaks or do you get any transport how does it work
0: that for this one there there'll be some driving some some hopping in a car but some of it's so deep in the back country that i mean there's going to be boat rides there's going to be some closed roads where i have to like bike in cuz it's closed to cars um it's, it's just this insane logistical thing. I mean, there's some of the peaks where the Canadian border doesn't open. Like they're literally so hard to get to that you cross the border, go up into Canada and have to get to them from Canada, re-entering the United States on trail instead of on road because it's easier that way. Um, <laughs> And if that doesn't reopen, I have to do like a marathon of bushwhacking just to get to the peaks and then a marathon of bushwhacking back out, not counting the mileage to tag the peaks. And there's some of the hardest peaks to climb um, with with some pretty, pretty uh, solidly fifth class terrain to get around and, and up to them. Um, so, yeah, it's just this insane undertaking where that's just one set of the mountains. And like I'm, I, I have to have a plan like this for all the different groupings of them. It's been a pretty wild undertaking. Um, and I'm super excited to go see if it all works. You know, I've done all this planning and all this different conversations with people that have done them before to come up with, you know, what what's the best entry and exit point for these things? Which ones can be linked together? Uh, which ones have to be done alone? Which route is better on each of them? Um, is it possible to go up this way to save a little distance or save a little time or to not have to walk back out, um, you know, five miles just to get to the, the car? Can I, you know, cut across here and go tag a few more peaks, you know, all these different things, like trying to build this thing ahead of time. And now I'm going to get to go out there and like, be like, well, here's, here's the hypothesis. Does it work? Um, Let's, let's run the experiment now. Um, So it's going to be wild. It's going to be truly, honestly wild. And if, if I succeed, I'll be the first person who's climbed them all 100 of them in a single climbing season, which will be awesome. Um, At
1: roughly, how long do you think that will take you?
0: If everything goes right, which is very, very unlikely, um, there's so many permits and clo- th- closures and things that can happen, if everything goes right right around the fifty day mark.
1: Um, oh, the, quite quick. The
0: fast the fastest it could possibly go is down toward the 40 day mark, but that would be that's that would be really optimistic. you know, like no wrong turns, no 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 major mistakes. Not even really any minor mistakes. The Canadian border reopens so that I can have the easy way to access those peaks that are really hard to get to. Um, It could it could go down near forty days potentially.
1: Wow! Keep us informed.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I'll make sure that you end up with a link so you can throw it on the show notes of this.
1: Very quickly, Jason. I know you've got to get off, but um, can we just talk equipment? When when you when you're running, what what what, training? What running shoes do you prefer? Um, if it's going to be mixed snow ice
0: trail, I'll run in something like a La Sportiva blizzard that has the built-in micro spikes. Um, I'll carry a lightweight pair of aluminum crampons with me. Um, if I know I'm going to run up into, again, glacier ice, I'll usually have my ultralight, uh, Petzl ride ice axes. Uh, I really love the lakey trekking poles because of the trigger shark locking mechanism that goes into the hand grip. Since for me, I think they're good for anybody that's out on steep trails and technical terrain. But for me, what's huge about them is since that system locks in in the palm to the pole, I can wail on the poles for a long trail ascent and not even have my grip closed. So when I get to the rock climbing section or the the steep ice where I need to be gripping my tools or gripping the rock, my grip strength is completely fresh as opposed to having like grip, you know, death grip to the poles. You get there and it's like, oh, wait, I got to wait for these to kind of like catch back up. Um, so that's a game changer for me, the the lakey pulls with their trigger shark mechanism. Um, let's see here.
1: What about a Gore-Tex jacket? Do you, what kind of jacket do you, do you wear?
0: Um, I have a rotation of things. I have some stuff from a little local company that sews right out of Oregon here called Northwest Alpine. They do some really good gear. My my body temperature usually runs hot. So I usually dress pretty light. Um, they've got a really great um sun hoodie, rock they call it rock hoodie, that's really durable material, super thin, breathes really well. Um, I like that. I've got uh Dinafit, Dynafit uh uh wind layer that I like to use. And I've been running in some of their shoes recently and I've liked those for when I'm not, you know, I mentioned the blizzards for when it's gonna be mixed terrain, um, when it's just gonna be trail or dry terrain. They've been pretty good. And I like the rubber for getting out on the rock with those um what else i already mentioned how i'll I'll use a tailwind or a similar product um that mixes in the water to kind of save Mm -hmm. pack volume so i don't have to have as big of a pack
1: do you have a favorite cooker
0: a favorite what cooker stove oh um oftentimes when i go out uh i'll just i'll just do all my meals cold um just to save the weight um i've used i've used the jet boil a lot though with uh for mountain guiding because i guide um and it's pretty good i think there are better things out there but it's gotten the job done in the times i've i've done stuff
1: they are they, they're very uh energy efficient aren't they because they're a closed closed system they get the job done that's for sure yeah what about a tent do you ever sleep out or um
0: if if i sleep out i'll usually go in an ultralight bivy type setup um You know, whether that's one of the like super light soul bivies, um, if I'm going to be, if I want to be really uncomfortable um, or just like a waterproof bivvy over a light, light sleeping bag, if I'm going to be out for longer, Um, that combo served me well in the past.
1: Mm. Have you any plans or have you done triathlon? Uh, Yeah, actually, that was the
0: way I got into ultra endurance uh, was through Ironman.
1: Wow. What, what, what's an art? See, I've only done like an unofficial Ironman. I, I organized it myself, right? I haven't actually been in an Ironman. I've, I've been in, um, I've done standard distance triathlons. So the Olympic distance triathlon, I've done that as an organized event. Um, but Ironman, that's something special, isn't
0: it? They're awesome. I love, uh, back when I was doing it, this was before the car accident that I mentioned getting injured in. um, I was very into it. I went to a couple of 70.3 world championships. I'd gotten to the level of being able to truly race that distance. And I was kind of crossing the bridge to getting to where I was going to go from just finishing Ironman to feeling like I could truly race my age group at the full Ironman distance. Um, and then that's when the car accident happened. It was, you know, kind of a heartbreaker back then. Cause I'm like, Oh, what? this is the year. Like I'm going to Kona. Like I'm on a whole nother level with my training doing like 140 mile bike rides and just getting off and going for a run and feeling like I haven't done anything yet today. Mm. Um, just like a, a different level, and then went out a car window in an accident. Um, so definitely unexpected, but it put me on this path, and that's why we're having a conversation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I won't I won't delve into the car accident because it's too serious a thing to just talk about quickly. But the 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 seventy thirty. What can you explain what that the seventy thirty is or seventy three? What does that number represent? It,
0: oh, 70.3 is the half Ironman distance Yeah, because uh, uh, full Ironman is 140.6 miles. So that means a half uh, Ironman is a
1: total of 70.3 miles. Wow. How do you get on with the swimming? Are you Does that come natural? or do you find it easier in a wetsuit? I literally uh,
0: somehow I managed to become a lifeguard when I was young. And my coworkers used to make fun of me because they're like, I have literally never seen such a horrible swimmer actually pass the swim test um and i was horrific like just sheer tenacity and will slapped my way through the pool to become a guard and so when i signed up for a full iron man which is what you do when you're signing up for a, a triathlon right you go full iron man for your first one um i had to get a lot better obviously and it, that was part of why i did it is i was like this is going to force me to do something that makes me uncomfortable um And swimming to this day, like still the thing, I I don't really enjoy it. I don't get in a rhythm. It's not really fun. Uh, But I got to where I could hang on just well enough that I could make up the distance on the bike and then not lose much ground on the run. Um, But the biking was definitely my strength when I was in triathlon.
1: What bike have you got
0: or what bike did you have? Uh, I rode a Cervelo um, P3SL um, from 2005. So it was even an old bike back when I was doing this. Uh, in 2013 2014 2015 um but man super great bike love that bike still have it still have it don't don't ride that one much anymore it's more of a it holds memories kind of thing but yeah. great bike
1: <laughs> yeah i got a giant and they are just it's just something else you know it's just these carbon fiber bikes they're just much more fun to ride because i don't know that my bike's re- is really stiff and you just get to a hill and you just go up the hill it's just that simple whereas on a on an aluminium bike you get to a hill and then you're gonna die trying to, up, <laughs> trying to get up trying to get up that hill so yes my gosh all right you you need to get on Go into what what subject do you teach
0: i teach uh, health and pe go figure
1: oh well that's yeah <laughs> and just one last question what's your view On is it Strava do you have that in the US I'm guessing Strava
0: yes Strava's huge in the US yeah
1: because I started to get people saying Chris what's your Strava and I'm like fuck off that's nothing to do what what I what I train is it's it's a personal thing for me you know I don't I don't go for times or whatever I mean you you, I do occasionally if I want to get a personal best but it's not I don't want to share that with the world because it's almost like a sacred thing or a spiritual thing for me. But do you have any views on this? I don't even use it now. I just, I put my stopwatch on. I don't I even think do that. at the minute I just run Strava Strava is a tool that can be
0: misused or used. Well, it's, it's a gamification of your endurance process, your growth process as an athlete, right? It gives you a sense of reward and progress. It gives you a sense of achievement Um, as you, you know, you could think of it like the video game character you're playing is yourself. So the only way you advance in the game is by actually becoming better yourself. So for some people that can be a hugely motivating and fun thing to go out and compete with your friends on segments to, for me, it's super useful that I have data exact data tracked, um, since 2012 or 13, when I got on it. Um, so I can go back and look and be like, oh, that worked really well when I was riding the bike. Like, look look at the kind of performances I had after that training block. Um, so it's useful in that sense. Um, I think where people can go go off the rails with it is like with any social media, if it starts owning your life, you know, if if it's all about getting the kudos and it's all about getting the, you know, KOMs and the course records and stuff like that, then it's really easy for it to become an unhealthy thing that's causing you to train in a way that breaks your body down instead of making your body stronger. So if you're a person that doesn't deal with that, well, when, when other people are watching, so to speak, you start to perform too much, you know, it might be healthy to, you know, take a step down from it or to, to Mm -hmm. if you notice that you're following those patterns to like find a way to check it or not, not use the, the app. Um, But I think for some people it can be really useful and it can be a lot of fun. Um, It just depends on how you
1: use it. Go and say hello to your wonderful students, and um, let us know how you get on on the, on on these climbs. Will do. It's been
0: a it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, I had so much fun, Chris. Um, we should do this
1: again, maybe when I'm done. <laughs> oh, I can't wait! Yeah, that'll be be good to hear how you get on. So, as I always say, get out there and smash it. I'll do my best, and you likewise. Yeah, take no prisoners. Okay, <laughs> Jason, all the best, mate. Take care. Thanks for coming on the show. To everybody at home, if you could like and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, cheers. Cheers. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris Chris.Thrall. Thank you.